0: God, we want to be uh, that type of person that says yes, yet we know in uh, uh, the challenges of life uh, that's not always easy to do. God, it's, uh, we, have, uh, we compete against a world uh, that at times uh, the things that they offer um, seem greater and better and more attractive, and it's easy to get caught up into uh, those things rather than saying yes to you. God, it's easy to get hung up on saying yes to you by the doubts that we may have. Our understanding may not be clear. Or we may be grieving over a loss. Things haven't turned out as we had hoped. And that has choked us and caused us to Wander, or be hurt or confused. God, we are not perfect people, but we are saved by your grace. So would you speak to us this morning? Would your Holy Spirit teach us, reveal to us, lead us, and guide us in the ways of your word, in the heart of your will, and in the response of your people? We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to North River. Glad to have you here today. Thank you for um, withstanding the New England weather elements and uh, being here. And also, as Christy said, for, uh, you know, coming here an hour early today, right? <laughs> so it's good to have you here uh, for, the, uh, for those who are new, my name is Todd. Uh, I'm the executive pastor. Uh, our regular pastor, senior pastor, Paul Atwater, is not here today. Uh, he's down in Florida, so you've got to deal with me, unfortunately. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, uh, we're glad you're here. I'd love to meet you at the end of the service. Uh, I'll be out in the lobby. I'd love, to, love for you to come by and say hi. So the lyrics to the song that, we, uh, that the worship team just sang raised some pointed questions for us. Could we live like your grace is stronger than our faults and failures? Could we live like your love is deeper than our hearts could fathom? Could we live like your name is higher than every power? Could we live like your ways are wiser than our understanding? Could we live like this? The message the song conveys is, what would happen if we say yes to God? I mean, can we really live like that? One of the biggest hang-ups people tend to have when it comes to saying yes to God is if God would really make a difference in their life, in their situation. Would it make a difference in the world? I mean, would things really change? Those who live in tension of choosing God versus not choosing God ultimately live in fear. And that fear boils down to this. If I say yes to God, I won't be happy. Because for some people, saying yes to God would mean life would be boring or, or strict or, or rigid. I mean, after, fo- after all, following God is just a bunch of rules and religion is just an organized way to control people. And is there any real truth to who God is Anyway, those are some of the hang-ups that people have about God. But saying yes to God is saying yes to a life of opportunity. We don't say yes to live small and contained lives. We say yes because God is bigger. He's bigger than our faults and failures, meaning there's no longer need to hide and pretend His love is deeper than we can fathom. Our hearts are full. He's higher than every power, meaning God is sovereign over all the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he is wiser than our understanding. God's thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. Saying yes to God is an opportunity for new life. It's an opportunity to be part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Something that is eternal. Last week we began a series called Affirmative, Saying Yes to God. And over the next month we're looking at people in the Bible who, choose, who chose to say yes. So if this is your first time at North River today, this is the perfect time to be jumping in and hearing a little bit about people who responded yes to God. Last week, we looked at Esther, who said yes to the challenge to use her position to help foil a mass genocide plot. If you missed that message, I'm happy to share with all of you that our messages are now on podcast. Uh, You can find our messages on Apple iTunes or Spotify. Just type in North River Community Church. Uh, They're also on our website if you want to follow along and listen to them there. Uh, this week, we're looking at the life of Barnabas. And one of the first things we discover when we study Barnabas is that he lived his entire life saying yes to God. So we're going to look at four snapshots this morning of Barnabas's, Barnabas's life. We're going to consider some specific ways that we can say yes to God. Now Barnabas is first introduced in the book of Acts. His original name was Joseph, and he was a Levite from Cyprus. Let's look into the story in Acts chapter 4. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now we learn three things about Barnabas right away in these first two verses. First of all, we understand a little bit more about his background. Levites were caretakers of the Jewish temple in which included uh, leading worship and teaching and other various duties. So Barnabas had some status within the Jewish community. Being from Cyprus, uh, known for its forestry and copper and silver mining, it indicates Barnabas probably came from a somewhat wealthy background. We also learn that the the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas. He was known for being an encouragement to others. Encouragement was not just like a superlative of Barnabas. Like, everyone remember high school where they voted people to be super cute and super cool and super funny? Everyone remember those? It was was common in the Semitic language to use the word son to indicate a person's character. So this wasn't just a cute nickname for Barnabas' achievements, like the goat, the greatest of all time, who? Tom Brady. (laughs) Tom Brady. His nature, his attitude and character was one of encouragement. So it's one that we can all strive to and look for, look to become. Have you ever experienced someone who was a great encourager? You feel built up, you, you're lifted up when you've been with them. If people had, uh, who knew Barnabas uh, back in the day had been asked, what do you remember most about Barnabas? Their answer would most likely be, Barnabas was a great encouragement to me. Now we'll learn a little bit more about Barnabas and how he encouraged people as we move on this morning. The third thing that we see in this passage is that Barnabas said yes to God with his assets. Now, um, uh, it was what we read is that uh, Barnabas had sold a piece of land, and it was most likely a significant asset. And it was given at a time where the church was growing and it was strained. One of the characteristics of the early church was to share possessions. Sharing had conveyed community, being, which meant being of one heart and of one mind. So it was a very attractive trait of the church. Now, Barnabas sold his piece of land and he gave it to the apostles 100%, all of it, fully surrendered. For kingdom use. Now, this must have been a substantial and generous gift to be listed in the text. No doubt this was an encouragement to the church and would surely be used. Now, if you're like me, perhaps you have some questions running through your mind right now. What was his ROI on that gift? Did he get a tax credit? Did he get his name on a new wing in the temple in his honor? Or did he at least get a parking parking spot for his camel? I mean, these are important questions that we need to know. (laughs) What do we learn from Barnabas? Barnabas saw rank in the kingdom as a higher priority than rank in this world. See, Barnabas wasn't seeking to be the richest man in the world. He was seeking to be rich in the kingdom of God. Saying yes to God with our assets establishes a trust for our future inheritance. Look at what Jesus said about money in Luke chapter 12, 33. He said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moths destroy. Do you see what Jesus said? Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying don't invest or don't save or or, or don't have any possessions. That's not what he's saying. And let me be clear this morning, this is not a shakedown, okay? What Jesus is saying is to invest and store in the right place. See, Jesus wants his followers to be eternity-wise investors. And the right place to invest is not in places or things that will wear out or bottom out or be stolen or destroyed. The right place is to invest in the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's eternal. In the finance world, there's a term used in investing called ROI. Anyone know what that stands for? Return on investment, we got a bunch of investors here, that's great, you're following me, good. ROI measures the amount of return on investment relative to the cost of the investment. So let's say you have $100,000 and you choose to invest it. The interest you receive from that investment is your return. That's your return on investment. Now, what's a good return on investment? As much as possible, right? I mean, we we want a big bang for our buck. We're told that about 10 to 15% return on an investment is usually considered really good. When we invest in the kingdom, every dollar we give to God is an investment to the kingdom. And the return, the return on investment, the ROI, is 100%. It's guaranteed by the Father. What we invest now is put into an account open for us in heaven. And every gift given for his glory is a deposit into that account. We become, we are the eternal beneficiaries of giving. Martin Luther says this, he says, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. See, when we invest in the kingdom for God's purpose and for his glory, God is holding on to that for you until you come home. If we store up treasures here, they don't last. And and to be honest with you, they don't come with us. But if we give it to God in faith, we will see a return in heaven. Now, I'm not just talking about a financial return I'm talking about a kingdom return. See, when we say yes to God with our assets, those assets are used to reach and build up new believers who will eventually one day be part of the kingdom. Now, not only will those new believers be part of the kingdom, but those who those new believers reach, their family, their friends, their their neighbors, they will potentially be part of the kingdom too. Do you see the ripple effect? Do you see what happens? Saying yes to God with our assets has a multiplying return spiritually. And that's what Barnabas realized when he gave that gift to the apostles, that it would be used to encourage and build the kingdom. And God wants his followers to do the same. But here's the catch. There is a conversion between the world and heaven's currency. And that conversion takes place at the heart. You see, God doesn't want us to simply buy our way into heaven through our giving. And he's not looking for people who uh, just wants to give out of begrudged duty. God wants joyful and generous giving. Sharing what we have abundantly been given by the Father. When we understand how much of a debt our sin that has been paid on our behalf, when we know that it is only by God's grace that we have been de- be redeemed, and we are being made new, then we know that it requires God to give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, one that beats with the heart of the Father. Randy Alcorn says this, he's an author, and he writes, God wants your heart. He isn't looking for just donors for his kingdom, those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He's looking for disciples immersed in the causes they give to. He wants people so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their money, time, and prayers where they will matter most. At first glance, we see Barnabas doing that. So filled with a vision for eternity that he would not dream of not investing their money, his money, time, and prayers where they will matter most. Think about your heart for a moment. What is your motivation for giving? Or do you have a motivation for giving? What are you investing in? Is your investment in the kingdom or are you simply storing up treasures on earth? Barnabas didn't just say yes to God with his assets, but he also said yes to God with his influence. As the church began to grow, there was strong opposition and persecution broke out. And one of the strongest and most dangerous persecutors of the believers was Saul. On his way to Damascus to round up the Christians in that particular city, Saul meets Jesus, and he experiences a life-changing conversion. Now, obviously, this caused a reaction of fear and doubt with those whom Saul was going after. Let's look at chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. See, Saul was ruthless in his pursuit against Christians, and all of a sudden, he became an advocate for Christ. Surely there would be questions raised. Is this some kind of trick? Is this some kind of Trojan horse to infiltrate the city? Barnabas here sees the dilemma and the potential negative impact that Saul's presence could have on the church. So what does he do? He spends his personal capital uh, with the apostles and he vouches for Paul. See, what he does here is he risks his reputation, the trust he built with the Christian community, and the future of the church, he bet his life on Saul. We read in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. See, in this moment, everything was at stake for Barnabas. So Barnabas takes Saul to the apostles. And I love almost the, the, the close similarity to how he gave the apostles his money from the land that he sold and how he went to the apostles with, Barn- with Saul. He laid his assets at the feet of the apostles, but he also laid his reputation at the feet of the apostles. And when he did that, he essentially, in effect, said to them, if you trust me, then you can trust Saul. And you know what? They listened to him. When every part of their being most likely said run, the apostles trusted and listened to the influence of Saul. The result of that is that uh, Saul stayed with the apostles and he was able to move freely around the city and he shared with others about Jesus. What happened? Kingdom impact there was kingdom impact. The church grew because of Barnabas willing to put his reputation and influence on the line. That is the impact that influence can have. See, Barnabas wasn't just a fast talker. His influence was because of his character, who he was and what he had done. Influence comes from years of words and actions, support and time investment. When we say yes to God with our influence, we are seeking to bring people together around a common goal. Influence is the ability to collaborate with others and to bring out their best. Influence is the ability to speak truth into a situation or a person's life that causes positive change in outcomes. Want to know who a great influencer is? that we all know? Pastor Paul. Now, I know I occasionally pick on him for his gray hair and no hair and his lack of fashion. That's all true. But let me tell you, this guy has influence. It was funny. I took the... Had, he's, Paul sent me this picture. I told you he's down in Florida. He's getting ready for the uh, Global Leadership Summit. And he sent me this picture, and this is with him and uh, Greg, Craig Rochelle who's one of the speakers at the Leadership Summit and Craig is going to be uh, investing a lot more time in the Leadership Summit moving forward uh, in the years to come. So Paul sent me this picture and he he said, Craig Rochelle wanted me to say hello to you. And I I saw the picture and I immediately fired back, is that a father and son picture? I witnessed Paul's influence last Sunday at the Glory of God prayer night down at New Hope Chapel in Plymouth. This place was packed, and there was about 15 churches from around the South Shore who are committed to praying together and are coming, becoming united. Rather than being divided and doing their own thing, we're trying to figure out what can we do together that we can't do apart. And it was a great night. It was exciting, but at one point in the service, all the senior pastors, a.k.a. the real pastors in the room, um, they were called up front to pray. And the pastor leading the prayer that night said, I'm going to ask Paul Atwater to lead us off because he has been such a great support and encourager in my life and in my ministry. So rather than Paul needing to be the guy who leads this massive Prayer thing on the South Shore rather than uh, inserting himself. Paul has just been quietly over the years encouraging and investing into the life of these guys. I know this because every, Tuesday, every other Tuesday they meet in classroom A for prayer, lunch, and encouragement and laughter. I hear a lot of laughter in there. It's crazy. <laughs> Those crazy pastors. <laughs> but here was even cooler. When it came time for the end of the service, when, when, when it came to a close, the leader's like running around the room looking for Paul to end the service with prayer. Paul was honored because he was a great encourager and a great influencer. No pizzazz, no flair, but just someone who's steady, cares for people, prays for people, and encourages. That's influence. And that's having an impact on the South Shore. Who in your life can benefit from your influence? I'm not just talking about getting them to do what you want. Saying yes to God with our influence is speaking grace and truth to others. Dan Ryland says this. He's a pastor and an author. He says, life will press people down, so anyone who consistently lifts people up has the ability to influence. Now, this is not an easy task. We're busy people. We have a lot going on in our life and can easily be on edge. Life will press us down and will press people down. But anyone who consistently lifts people up has the ability to influence. Helping people find trust in God is the best way to provide true, deep, and meaningful encouragement. When when encouragement becomes our lifestyle, we have the potential to reach people and influence them for Jesus. So Barnabas said yes to God with his assets, his influence, and most importantly, Barnabas rolled up his sleeves and said yes to opportunities. Here's what Acts 11 shares as one of those opportunities. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. See, things were happening in Antioch. The gospel was no longer reaching just the Jews. It had begun to reach some of the Gentiles, and people were coming to faith in Christ. Perhaps you can imagine what the scene might have looked like at Antioch. A very young church, few leaders, if any at all. There were believing Jews who had tradition and rituals from their past, and former pagan Gentiles in another So most likely, things were chaotic as these two groups of people were coming together. The news of the activity in Antioch reached the church in Jerusalem. And verse 22 tells us that the leadership of of the Jerusalem church had sent none other than Barnabas to go check things out. Barnabas responds to the opportunity and he heads off to Antioch. Verse 23 tells us what he finds. When he arrived and he saw the grace of God had, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Although things may have been chaotic, Barnabas assessed the situation in Antioch and saw great things happening. The significance here is that this was the start of the gospel spreading to the Gentiles. Barnabas saw God at work, and he saw so much potential, and they saw the need for more work to be done. See, people who say yes to God see the redemptive opportunity in every situation. Notice Barnabas's response. He didn't complain or grumble. He didn't look down at, down at the challenges that was, that was needed to be addressed. He was encouraged and he was excited for what God was doing. He saw so much opportunity and needed that, that was needed that he ended up getting some help from his friend Saul. And together they spent an entire year on a short-term mission project teaching and discipling this young church. Through the influence and the encouragement in response to saying yes to God for this opportunity, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, some have argued that this term was coined by the pagans in Antioch. Oh, them, they're the Christ-like ones. Others have argued that it was a term coined after Barnabas, being the Christ-like man. Still, some have suggested that it was the Gentiles who heard the believers speak so often of Christ that they added a suffix to the word Christ, thus Christians, meaning the christ People. However, you interpret it, either way, it indicates that there was a deep level of discipleship and a bold desire to be linked with the crucified one. There was opportunity happening. Do you believe God is at work? Do you believe that He is at work in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, your community, in your office? And the South Shore? Have you stopped to look and and assess how God might be at work in your sphere of influence? Do you see the opportunities in front of you? See, we're often moving so fast through life that we can miss the opportunities that are happening right in front of us. God wants to align our heart and priorities and opportunities to the heart of God. Uh, about a month ago, uh, our daughters got to take part in uh, Elevate's winter retreat up at Camporea. And um, a typical retreat, the way a typical retreat ends is everyone comes back and they're like, God's awesome, I love him, he's the greatest in the world. It's Sunday night, 7 o'clock, tomorrow I'm going to live my life differently for God. And then Monday rolls around and it's like, God who? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) first period in school, God who? (laughs) Well, we're seeing a difference in the lives of our high school and middle school students from this retreat. They're starting to read their Bibles regularly together and, uh, and pray for each other and encourage one another. So like the results that came from this retreat have had a long, sustaining impact. It's been really cool. So one night, it was time to get ready for bed, uh, for our daughters to go to bed, and uh, I, I, a lot going on in life. I had emails to respond to, phone calls to make, Deadlines approaching, list, list a mile long. So I ran into P's room and was just getting ready to say goodnight to her. And she was hunched over on her bed, a blanket over her, and she's writing in this book. I'm like, P, what are you doing? Well, I'm writing in my journal. And I was like, well, can I, can I see? Can I take a look at it? And I was totally expecting her to slam it shut, say no, and kick me out of her room. But what she did was, is she handed it to me. And I'm reading what she's writing into this journal. Sharing what God had done to her on the retreat. How God had changed her heart. How she responded by saying yes. The questions she had was, how do I know that God is talking to me? How do I know where to be obedient? And I'm reading that and I was like, I got to find out more. So the best way to get my daughter to talk is food. So I, I'm like, hey, you want to get coffee tomorrow and we can talk this through? Well, coffee turned into lunch and, you know, hour and a half conversation. And it was neat just to kind of hear the things that happened to her on that retreat. She said that, uh, on Saturday night, the speaker gave, her, gave everybody five challenges, which was to read the Bible which was to pray and journal, not sissy prayers. That's what she made sure I said this morning, uh, real prayers, uh, to get baptized, to serve, not just inside the church, but to get out of the church and serve outside, and to find a mentor. And we started to unpack some of that. You know, and she said, hey, Dad, I just want you to know, the Bible that, I, that I've had for many years is uh, lame, and uh, it's a kiddie Bible, and I want, a, I want a new Bible. And I'm like, oh, okay, do you, want, do you want a teenage Bible? No, I want a real Bible, an adult Bible. I want it leather-bound, and I want notes in it that I can read the notes along the way. I was like, oh, wow, you got expensive taste, kid. <laughs> but I didn't care. I'm like, we'll get it, we'll get it. Like that's Whatever you need, we'll get you the Bible. And she talked about wanting to get baptized, and she's like, Dad, would you baptize me? I'm like, yes, I will. <laughs> do you want to go out in the puddle right over here? <laughs> I went in Tuesday morning to our worship planning meeting, and I was like, when is our next baptism? <laughs> and we talked about her seeking out a mentor. And she's like, how do I find a mentor? I said, well, you gotta, there's two ways you've got to filter through this. One, you've got to pick somebody who you can be totally and completely honest with. She's like, I was like, do you know somebody like that? Yep. (laughs) I was like, okay. And I was like, but then you have to be ready for them to speak into your life and be able to hear that. Do you know somebody like that? And sure enough, she did, and she she has somebody in her, one of her leaders who are investing in her and spending time with her, and they're going to They're starting a journey together um, uh, in this mentoring relationship. Now, I share that because it was an opportunity. And you might be thinking, all right, Shimshack, that's low-hanging fruit. Like, anyone can just go to their kid and knock one off, right? But not necessarily so. See, the number one disciple maker in your family is you that's the role of a parent, is to raise your kids up in the faith. We don't abdicate that role to anybody else. And I share that story not because it's low-hanging fruit. I share it because I could have missed an opportunity being too busy, too focused on other things, and I could have missed the opportunity to be able to have that interaction. Now, my family will tell you I'm not perfect, but that was a moment where we had a Tender moment together. And God's using that in a pretty good way. What are opportunities that are in front of you? What is God nudging you to take a next step in? Is it possible this morning that you heard about a mission trip to Maine this summer? And when you heard that, you immediately dismissed it, thinking, I'm too busy. I have too much to do. I couldn't possibly give up a week of work. I couldn't possibly give up a vacation. There's no way that's ever going to happen in my life. But is that an opportunity that God might be nudging you to take part in, where you and your family would have an experience to serve God together? Is there an opportunity for, to, to come together as a congregation and pray together, and does God want you to be part of that? Can you find an hour in your week, this Wednesday from seven to eight, to pray as we continue to seek God together, and what He's trying to do, what He's trying to show us, what He's trying to the way He's trying to lead? Men, is a Saturday morning, and uh, a day on Saturday on March thirtieth too much for you to take a day and come to connect? With, guy, with the Guy Wire Ministry and be challenged and, um, and experience some teaching and community and worship together. If that's something you're interested in, Derek and the guys will be out in the lobby after the service, they'd love to talk to you about that. Is there a way to build a small group time, growing in community with other believers into your life? What's holding you back? What opportunity is more important and being in community with other people, that you can't find that time to make that happen. We have small groups that meet all the time around here. Every day of the week, almost every hour, there's opportunities for us to grow in small groups together. Now you may be thinking, well, there's a lot of opportunities out there. How do I know which opportunities to pick? There's one more snapshot from Barnabas from his life that I want to look at this morning that will help us answer that question. Here's cha- Acts chapter 13. Now, the ch- now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Once again, Barnabas and Saul respond to an opportunity. But notice how they weren't necessarily looking for an opportunity. They were listening for opportunities as well. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. And though they were doing good things in Antioch, God had something bigger planned. They had plenty to do in Antioch, but God had something bigger planned. The work that Barnabas and Saul had been set apart for was essentially their missionary work to the Gentiles. The rise of Christianity throughout the entire world. This began their first missionary journey. Barnabas and Saul were being used by God to change the world. How do we know when God is speaking to us? How do we know what opportunities await us? I want to go back to the conversation I had with with P. because one of the questions she wrote down in her journal was How do I know when God's talking to me when he's speaking? And we got to talk through that a little bit. And I, I said, to, I call her P. We call her P. It's her, her nickname. It's not Barnabas, but it's P, right? P. Perfect. No. Uh, so we're talking, and I said, here are five things you got to think through. God speaks through his word. God speaks through his word. If we want to know what God wants us to do, if we want to know how he wants us to live, if we want to know how we're supposed to love, God speaks through his word. We need to be reading. We talked about how God speaks to, through his people, otherwise known as, as the church. God speaks into the people for, who give advice or into leadership and discernment and trying to figure out where God is leading and guiding. God speaks in the circumstances of our life. He speaks through prayer. And finally and most importantly, he speaks through his Holy Spirit. Meaning the the spirit is what illuminates in us, often through an impression, a conviction, that by not following Jesus, we would be disobeying him. And and what I said to P was, I said, these things don't contradict each other. Meaning if you see something in God's word and somebody says something that's contrary, it's different, it's not the same, it's a contradiction. You got to keep sorting it out. These five things are not all present at the same time when God speaks, but most often one or two of these ways are in which God speaks and provide confirmation. See, this is why it's so important to live a surrendered life to God. It's why we say yes to God. And that's our big idea for this morning. Saying yes to God is a lifetime of decisions that build a legacy For the kingdom of God. Saying yes to God is a lifetime of decisions that build a legacy for the kingdom of God. Not our legacy, not my legacy, not North River's legacy, but the kingdom of God. When we say yes to God with our assets and influence and opportunities, What we're essentially doing is we're aligning our life to the heart of God, which is the kingdom of God. So it forces us to ask the question, how are you investing your life? Some of you are studying, uh, are in a study by Lisa Turkhurst, so you know her as an author. I read something from her this week that I thought was fitting. She said, big things are built one brick at a time, Victories are achieved one choice at a time. And a life well lived is chosen one day at a time. The challenge for us in saying yes to God is to evaluate your opportunities. What new work is God placing before you? What insights have been uh, have you been gaining from your Bible reading? What is the spirit of God saying to you? What are your church leaders saying? what do you see God doing? How has he been using you over the past months and years? See, God wants to use you in even greater ways in months and years to come. See, too often we get caught up being too comfortable, and we stop. But God is looking to, for us to not become too satisfied with the status quo, because God rarely allows us to stay in the same place for very long. instead He keeps pushing the envelope, our envelope. When you sense God nudging you or showing something you something to you or moving you, stop whatever you're doing and adjust what you're doing to Gods and adjust to God's plan. Most likely, God is doing something that will have a kingdom impact. And every time you make a kingdom impact, you are changing someone's eternity and your eternity forever. You're essentially changing the world. Get it? Get it? Let's pray. God, help us to be open to the ways in which you are nudging us this morning. If it's a conversation, if it's a first-time decision to follow and say yes to you, if it's a recommitment, perhaps we've been wandering and have gone astray or we've been hung up on something, would you move in us? And if it's an opportunity for us to take a step further in discipleship, In reaching somebody, God, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the faith and the courage to say yes to you. Because we know, God, in each of those things, when we say yes to you, we experience a deeper life, a full life, and we experience your grace and goodness more than we do right now. So we trust you and ask you to continue to work mightily in our hearts. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to sing a final song this morning. I just want to point out last week I had shared that we are behind in our giving budget for the year. Uh, Many of you have responded over the last week. Thank you. um, But we continue to have have to work to get to reach, close this gap by the end of the year. Uh, So uh, our support is is funded by our members. Uh, So if today's your first time here, please don't feel like, uh, uh, this is a prep, you're being pressured to give today. Um, but thank you to our members who give faithfully week in and week out.